0: You are now listening to the Rose of Sharon Church podcast. It is our prayer that God challenges your heart during this week's message. If you would like to let us know what God is doing in your life, please email us at share at gmail.com. We're glad you're here. Welcome home to Rose of Sharon Church. Amen, amen, amen. There's a little passage of Scripture over in 2 Timothy that the Lord's been stirring around in my heart. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, kind of rusty on the job. And uh, I won't guarantee a whole lot. But uh, I'm just going to pitch a little stuff out to you on this morning. Uh, But this little verse of Scripture has been going over and over and over in my heart. And I want to pitch it out to you this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me. Having loved the present world. And he's departed going back to Thessalonica. That bothered me. Really bothered me. It really bothered me. I've done a little research about this guy. He bothered me. He bothered me. Brother Demas bothered me. Because he forsaken the ministry. Having loved this present world, it always bothers me when people make commitments to God and they don't follow through with it. And there's a real reason why people don't follow through with their commitments. And I begin to do a little research about Demas and him forsaking the ministry. Now the reason why he done that is there was something out here pulling, pulling, pulling on him. And it was called the world system. Everybody's familiar with that. We all have problems with that. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have problems with the world system pulling on you. (coughs) The number one thing that I found out about Demas was he was a co-laborer with one of the greatest men of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. He was a co-laborer with Dr. Luke that wrote Luke's gospel in the Bible. He was a co-laborer with Timothy, a young man that had been trained and skilled in the ministry under the Apostle Paul. He was a (coughs) co-laborer, very active in the ministry of God. And I was thinking, what an honor it would have been to be able to just walk around and listen to the great apostle Paul and watch him and follow the ministry and see all the things that transpired in his life, how wonderful it would be. He had the privilege of doing that. But he forsook the ministry. And the Bible said, having loved the present world. And he departed and went back to Thessalonica. As I begin to shovel around just a little bit and dig around, I begin to think, <clears throat> why is it so difficult for us to follow through with God? Now, I read over in, in the book of, of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 9. Paul, in his last moments that he lived. He had been in a dungeon. He hadn't saw daylight for a long, long time. They brought him out of the dungeon and the brightness of the light he wasn't able to see clearly because he'd been in this dungeon. And they said, Paul, what do you see? And he said, I see a crown of righteousness that's waiting for me. Now Paul was beheaded under the persecution of Nero. And just before he was beheaded, he spoke these words in verse 9. And he said, Timothy, I want you to come to me shortly. And the reason I need you to come to me is Demas has forsaken me. And by choice, he's chose to go back to the world. But notice what he said in that verse 11. He said, only Luke is with me. Take John Mark and bring him because he's profitable to the ministry. Now here's what I want us to see this morning. It doesn't mean it's who we are. If we choose not to follow God, it's not gonna stop God's program. God's church is gonna move on with you or without you. His church is gonna move with me or without me. God's not gonna be the loser. You know what God will do? If God calls you and gives you an assignment and gives you a duty to do for God and you don't do it, no, he's not gonna gonna beg. He's just gonna back up, pull the next boy out and say, come on, follow me. And we'll be the loser. See, God don't make us serve him, but there will be a time that we wish we had served him. Come on, somebody. But see, it broke my heart. Demas forsaken the ministry of God because there was something else pulling at him. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a one-time thing. This is an everyday business with God. You've got to maintain your walk with God every day. Every day has got to be a new day. You got to get up every morning, you got to declare war on the devil and say, Devil, uh, I broke fellowship, I broke relationship with you, uh, I've taken on a new partner, and I'm going to walk with God this day. Come on, somebody. And you know what I found out about Demas? He tradition says that he even established a church in France. And all of these great things that he was doing for God. He forsook it because there was something else called the world that was pulling at him. Now I'm going to hurry and you listen hurriedly because I'm going to talk hurriedly and you listen hurriedly because I want you to get it. Amen. All right. Now, then, we notice in Colossians 4 and 14, we see Demas' name mentioned again. He was giving greetings to the church and the believers of colossia He had Luke at his side. And he was greeting them and encouraging them in their walk with God, Demas. Now then, if you go a little further and look over to the little book of Philman, Philman only has 26 verses in one chapter. But in Philman 124, if you get a chance, you ought to read the story of Philman because it's wonderful. See, Philman stole from his boss. And he slipped off and skipped country and went to Rome. And when he got over, he came in contact with Paul, and Paul won him to God. Paul was a powerful man. You better not get around him if you don't want to get introduced to Jesus. They was afraid of Paul. Every time they'd put him in prison, put him in jail, they'd have to change keepers every two hours because he'd win the keepers to God and join their favor. Powerful man of God. But Philman was one to God and Paul told him, said go back home and make your wrong right. And old Philman come back to his boss and Paul said, I'm going to send a letter with you and I'm going to tell your master that you stole from whatever you stole. Paul said, I'll even pay the debt and make it right myself. And when old Philman come back home and fieldman 124, what did he have? He had a salutation from Demas, the fellow laborer. And you know, what did he say? He said, Philman I'm so proud you made the choice to make this wrong, right, and to come back home. Now, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of this, Demas forsook the ministry and chose to go the way of the world. Regardless who you are, God don't make you serve. We serve Him because we love Him. And if you love Him, there's no question in your mind you're going to serve Him. Hallelujah! I love Him, and because I love Him, I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to live for Him regardless. See, it's not the question, am I going to serve Him? I made up my mind. I'm gonna tell you about it in just a minute. All right, now let's move along. After all of this, being surrounded with some of the greatest fellow laborers in the world, he still forsaken them and chose to go by the world. Now then, look here what the scripture said in Luke 17 and verse 32. Talks about Lot's wife. How many of you have ever heard of Lot's wife? What do you remember about Lot's wife? She was called out of Sodom and Gomorrah before God destroyed it. And God said, don't look back. She looked back and she became a pillar of salt. That's what everybody remembers about Lot's wife. Now, isn't that a sad remembrance? Hallelujah. I don't know what you want this morning in life, but I'm telling you, buddy, I want to make some footprints for God that will never, never be erased nor forgotten. Come on, somebody. If you go down to the north end of the Dead Sea in the well-watered plains of Jordan, you'll see a great big hunk of salt. That it's Lot's wife. Still there today. I saw that. I visited it. The only thing we remember about Lot's wife, she turned back. Now, why did she do that? She was told not to turn back. She was encouraged not to turn back. But she looked back and she became a pillow of salt. People are warned repeatedly, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. But repeatedly we go back and we forsake our commitment. We forsake our walk with God. And we know the final analysis is it's going to be trouble. Going to be trouble. Going to be trouble. Demas forsaken Paul and the ministry, having loved the present world. Now, look here. In the book of Matthew, Chapter 6, 19 through 21. They're all good, but I'm going to give that 21st verse. That 21st verse says where your treasure is, there's your heart also. If your heart hadn't been sanctified, you're going to go in the direction of your heart. If you still got the world in your heart, you're going to go in the direction of the world. You've got to get that heart sanctified. Come on, somebody. There always has been a pull. There always will be a pull. But what we've got to do, We gotta get sanctified through and through, get washed in his blood, come to that place. We made a commitment to God, and there's not enough devils in hell, out of hell, and all around hell to detour us and cause us to go in an opposite direction. All right. I know this is not a modern day verse right here, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. First John two fifteen. Love not the world. If any man loves the world system, the love of God's not in him. Woo! hallelujah. We've got to get close enough to God to get the world system out of us. If you don't, that old world system is going to pull you back in that old gutter and in that old routine and in them cesspools because in yourself it's powerful. Don't love the world. Neither the things that are in the world. And if you've got the love of the world in you, the love of the Father is not in you. He said, in the world, there's a lust of the flesh, there's a lust of the eye, and there's a pride of life. That's the three areas that the devil always comes to people, in those three areas. He'll get you to look at it, and he'll tell you a tale like this. Boy, you can have more fun than a barrel of monkeys. You can just obey me and follow me and, and all your worries and all stuff will just be over. If you listen to the pride of the eye watching and looking at it, then the lust of the flesh is gonna get a hold of you. And then the pride of life's gonna set in and you'll see it, you'll lust after it, and then you become a partaker of it. Come on somebody. But what are you saying? He said, Demas has forsaken the ministry because he loved the world. Isn't that awful? What causes that? I want to tell you this morning, you've never been in a battle. You've never been in a battle until you make a confession of faith and start giving your heart to God. The booger devil doesn't care how much you go to church. He honestly doesn't care if you read the scripture. But it really upsets him when you really get serious about your walk with God. You can go to church, but be sure you carry your telephone along with you. And you play games while the church is going on. You talk to your friends and you do emails, and you do all of this kind of stuff while the house of God's in progress because I don't want you to get real involved in that thing. Now, am I right or am I wrong? I know I'm obsolete. I know I'm antique. I know I'm old and fanatical. But I'm telling you, buddy, we got to do something about it. Come on, somebody. The world is drawing too many people. Galatians 5, 16, he said, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a crave for the old world. Now look at verse 17. Here's your problem right here. He said, the flesh and the spirit are contrary one to another and it creates a battle on the inside of you. The flesh is wanting to pull you to the world system. God's wanting to pull you to the God system. And it creates a battle on the inside of you. Come on, somebody. And we're going to be the deciding factor which one we're going to submit to. If I submit to the world, I'm going to go the way of the world. If I submit to God, I'm going to be a Holy Ghost filled child of God. Come on, somebody. Psalms 34 and 8. Can't do nothing without Psalms 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord's good. Amen. Blessed is a man that trusts in the Lord. Yes. Fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there's no want to them that fear him. The young lions do like and suck for hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come on. Look at there. Deem was forsaken the best thing in the world to make a choice to go with the world. I really tried to find the regrets, but I couldn't find those in the scripture because it only told about the choice that he made. Now then look at here. Why would a fellow walk away from something like this? Psalms 84, verse 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He'll give grace and glory. And no good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. And look at that next verse 12. The Lord of hosts will bless the man that trusts in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I believe I'm speaking to a bunch of people this morning who like to be blessed. I don't care who you are. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. I don't care what your family status tree is. You like to be blessed. Don't we? Don't we? Don't we? Don't we? And the Lord said, I won't withhold a good thing from you. And I'll bless you like you've never been blessed before. Isn't that wonderful? Now then. What I'd like to do, if you're permit me to this morning, I'd like to share with you some personal references. Personal references. Why does a man walk out from God? After they've tasted of the heavenly gifts and been blessed of God, why do they walk away from Him? Why do they do that? You know, if I live till April the 5th, I'll be 60 years old in my walk with God. April the 5th of 1957, I gave my heart to the Lord. I knew the very moment that I went down and answered that call that night that God had called me to preach. Because even before I was converted, I could have dreams and imaginations of standing before people and proclaiming the good news to them. This is before I ever got saved. I knew that I was going to have to preach the gospel when I got saved. April the 5th, I knelt at an altar and I made God a promise. I said, Lord, if you'll save this little teenage boy and forgive me my sins, I'll serve him to the best of my ability. I made him a promise. I made him a promise. That burnt on the table of my heart and I never got over it. I made a commitment to God at that altar because I knew that God had put his hands on my life and he wanted me to preach the gospel. Woo, glory. If you've ever knelt before God and you've asked God to forgive you, you made a promise to him. April the 5th of 1957, I knelt at an altar and I made a promise to God. And I said, God, if you'll save me and forgive me my sins, I'll serve you and live for you. And I've never been sorry that I made that choice. As a young boy, I played around a little bit, smoking cigars. Never got hung on it. And I'm grateful that I didn't. I'd hold my nose and drink a little of that devil's juice. Never did like it and I'm glad I never fell in love with it. stuff in the world. Come on, somebody. I got it from that altar. I started seeking the Lord. September the 28th of 1957, I preached my first messy message. Messy message. I'll never forget I preached from the book of of Acts chapter 26, 28 where Paul was witness to King Agrippa and Paul was so convincing and King Agrippa said, almost thou persuaded me to be a Christian. Never forget that sermon, September the 28th 1957 in a little church of the Nazarene. I thought maybe I might be a Nazarene, I didn't know. And then this thing about God began to bug at me. I talked to the preacher and he told me about this tongue business he said when you get saved God lets you speak with a new tongue and that's a tongue that God's talking about but there was something on the inside of me said there's more to this walk with God than that that following January of 1958 God baptized me with the Holy Ghost and he gave me a prayer language And I've been praying in that thing ever since. Glory to God. Every day through the course of the day, I pray in that prayer language, and I talk to God. I made a promise. God, if you save me, I'll live for you. I made him a promise. It didn't stop there. He made me a promise. Boy, this is good. Woo! He made me a promise. I made a promise to him, and he made a promise to me. And you know what his promise was to me? Matthew 28 and 20. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way. That means in the highs. That means in the lows. That means when you're having a good time. That means when you're having a tough time. He said, I won't never walk off and leave you, but I'll always stick with you and I'll always stand with you. You know what else he said? He gave me a promise, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with what you have. And he said, the Lord said, I'll never leave you, nor I'll never forsake you. That's what he promised me. That's what he promised me. This little cotton patch boy knelt at that altar as a young lad giving his heart to God and I gave him a promise and he gave me a promise and he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way. I'd like to tell you the other stuff that you told me. Something like Isaiah 41.10. He said, son, you don't have to be afraid. I want to ask you, what have you got to be afraid of? If you know Jehovah God, if you know sovereign God's with you, what you got to be afraid of? Fear thou not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you, I'll uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. When you get saved and you get born again, I'm not talking about shedding crocodile tears because you got caught up with your meanness. I'm talking about genuinely getting saved, getting genuinely born again, and God writes your name down in the Lamb's book of life. He places you in the palm of his right hand. Now, he's right-handed. I read in the book of Judges about these awkward but awkward left-handed people. But the Lord's right-handed because he holds in his right hand. And his left hand, now you read this from Proverbs 3.16. He said with his left hand he reaches out and he pulls in blessings. They're like the feeder roots for the tree. His right hand is like the taproot that holds a tree and calls it strong. The taproot reaches out and brings in food. He holds us with his left hand and with his right hand. With his left hand, he's reaching out and bringing in blessings. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? That's a promise from God. That's a promise from God. You know what else God told me? He said, son, since you made this commitment to me, I'm going to make an evergreen Christian out of you. Go to Psalms 100. Thought that was an angel walking around there. And it is. Psalms 1 has only six verses. And he said, Blessed is a man, happy is a man, that walketh on in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, the man of God, is in the law of the Lord. In it doth he meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of, of water. Bring forth his fruit in season. His leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, he shall prosper. Yes. God said, I'll make an evergreen Christian out of you. Are you tired of living where you've been living? Are you tired of the flambunctious life you've been living? Are you tired of the up and down stuff? Uh, get on the path with God to, and let him lead you. Yes. Ungodly still, not sin of the judgment the sin of the sons of the congregation and righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. God said, I'll make an evergreen Christian out of you. Let me go a little further. I made him a promise. He made me a promise. 1958, I started preaching everywhere. I'd go out on the street corners. I'd go in the jails. Preachers going off for the weekend, they'd call me, and I'd fill in for them. Everywhere God opened the door. Now the reason I'm saying this, I'm simply saying why does people have a tendency to forsake the Lord after God's done so many wonderful things for them? The number one thing is they don't follow through their commitment. I made him a promise. He made me a promise. And you know what? God started to bless him innumerably. That simply means God started blessing in ways that I couldn't understand because they were so innumerable. We built a little tabernacle. Probably about a 20 or 30. We'd park that thing on the side of the road. I preached 13 weeks straight on that tabernacle. I got $13 a dollar a week. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. <clears throat> God started blessing in your Pouring in so many blessings, I just couldn't tell how powerful and wonderful And you know what I said to the Lord? I said, Lord, I'll give my best to you if you'll take care of me. I said, I'm not going to buy food on the credit. I'm not going to buy gas on the credit if you're not big enough to take care of me. I've never been a beggar in my life. I've been a worker. All my life I've worked. And today I stand before you as a young man and say I'm very grateful that my parents taught me how to work. And I've worked all my life. I've never begged nobody. I've never sent out solicitation letters and begged for nobody. I just said if God wasn't big enough to do it, it won't be done. And if God lays something on your heart, if he lays it there, he's big enough to accomplish what he lays on your heart. Come on, somebody. But I said, Lord, if you'll take care of me, I'll live for you. 1971, God led me to that little communion in Randolph. We went out to that old cow pasture and we stretched that little tabernacle them cows would have church in that thing during the daytime and we'd go there at night and have church. Sometime we'd have people, 300 people would gather up in the little tabernacle. And I'll tell you what, if that boy's uh, Bill Rose, his wife, Louise Rose, was she, your grandmother, or great-grandmother. You don't remember, them. they may have been back there long. They'd come all the way out from Covington all the time up there. Hey, Amen, out that meeting was happening down there. Everything was happening down there. We stayed there for a whole winter long. 1962. I was a young man, I finished my education. They didn't have online stuff then. They had correspondence to finish. I finished my education through correspondences. Got all the degrees. Same thing as a four-year college degree in correspondence is what they had then because I started working for God. Built a church down there. We finished that thing in 1962. We pastored over there until 1971 when God led us over here. And listen, something else happened. Innumerable blessings. In 1968, I used to do as many revivals as a full-time evangelist. Innumerable blessings. I'm talking about this morning. Why does people forsake the Lord when God's done all these great things for us? Why do we walk away from God when God's our only source of blessing and our only source of help? First of all, I made a promise. He made a promise to me Then God has started blessing in 1968 I was in a revival of a little church in Blasville, Arkansas called Glad Tidings Assembly of God alright, now look here I was going over to the Glad Tidings Assembly over there in Blasville, Arkansas and that Saturday night a little old man and his wife came in here from Hopeville, Arkansas where Lovely was from and you know as a young man I traveled a lot and everywhere I'd go they'd try to hook me up with a woman And I said, no, I'm having so much fun, I'll never, 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 never get married. Man, I was going preaching, we was eating every night after church, wouldn't eat in the afternoon, but we'd eat at night after church, have fellowship, having a big time. And I said, I'll never get married. Well, that night they met me in church, and they said, there's a girl in our church we want you to meet. And to be honest with you, I was really getting old enough to get married. When you get 30 years old, according to Israel, you're a full-blown man. Now, Israel says that you're a man when you get 30 years of age. Here, you get, you get to become a man a little earlier than that. But I was about 31 years age then, and they come up to me and said, we got this girl. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm never going to get married. And if God ever gets me a girl, first of all, she'll have to be blackheaded. And I said, the second thing is, don't take offense to that if you're here. I said, she can't be a fat woman. I can't have a fat wife. And I don't take no offense to that. But that's what I told the man. And he said, well, she's not. I said, she's nice and trim. And I said, the third thing about her is she's got to be musically inclined. He said, we got everything. <laughs> well, you know what? To be honest with you, I was really suffering. Because all of a sudden I'd become just about 31 years of age. I was going to church every night. We'd just have a big time of our life. But something set on the inside of me it was very painful. It was called loneliness. There's no pain in the world like being lonely. No pain in the world. I was having a good time, but I was lonely. And so uh, I I got that young lady's address. That was on Saturday night. Well, I had to come back to preach over Randolph that Sunday morning, Sunday night. That Monday morning, I sat down and I wrote her a letter. And I said, I'd like to meet you. They've told me about you. And I said, uh, I'd like for you to ask your pastor to let me come over and preach at one of the church services. And uh, and send me back a picture. Well, I was so anxious to see this girl that I wrote that letter and sent that thing air mail for a five-hour journey. Sending that thing air mail, it went around the world. Taking two weeks for her to get it. They put it on an airplane and sent it everywhere. Well, she finally got it and she corresponded to me back and I went over there and I met little lovely Jane innumerable blessings. See, I tell everybody, God has a tailor-made person for everybody if you will just wait on Him. We pro and con for a couple of years, and in Gen- uh, December the 10th of 1971, lovely Jane and myself were married. I was 33 and a half years of age, the very age Jesus was when they crucified him. Lovely Jane was 27, six years difference in our age. Jane and I were married, God put us together, brought us home. I'd already started the campground, I left the Randolph Church in 1971. God impressed upon my heart through divine revelation and given me a vision that the vision never grew dim. Every day that vision grew in my heart and life. It was indefinitely printed upon the table of my heart. And every day I put forth my best foot to fulfill that vision that God gave me. Well, God immediately started blessing us and he blessed us with our first child. September the 1st, Brother Tim was born. Then God blessed us a few years later with a little precious darling called Luanna. And then later, God blessed us with a beautiful little darling called Joy. Joy was born in Washita, Arkansas, at Washita Hospital. She's a little Arkansas girl by birth. I'll never forget, that was before they allowed the parents to go back in the room. I was sitting out in the waiting room and I began to calculate how old and gray-headed I would be when Joy would graduate from high school and then finally graduate from college. And then today... She's graduated from high school. She's graduated from college, and then she's been probably a seven- or eight-year teacher over in the elementary school. God's blessed. Well, let me tell you something else. I tell my children, regardless how hard you try to run from God, you can't get away from it. Because, see, there's something about the little Rose family, and I didn't even orchestrate this. God just done it. See, Jane and I were blessed with three children. That's God's perfect number. We were blessed with seven grandchildren. That's God's perfect number. You put my children and my grandchildren together and put love and myself, you have 12 people. That's God's perfect number. We didn't even plan that. God just orchestrated that. What am I saying? God has blessed innumerably, and because of that, I can't afford to ever have a desire to turn back. Now, somebody might sit in your seat and say, Pastor, the Lord's never blessed me like that. You just haven't stopped and recognized it. Could I ask you to do one thing? Would you go home this afternoon, instead of taking an over a long nap, just sit down and take a pencil and paper and start sitting down one by one, analyzing the good things God's done for you. And when you get to the close of that paper, I'd like for you to tell me, what do you think about it? how much has God really blessed me? You know, this little song says count your blessings one by one and it'll really surprise you what the Lord's done. Amen? Amen? Glory to God. Count your blessings. And you know what? Every day that I live, I become amazed about God. Psalms 37, 23 through 25, I once was young and now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor receive seed and bread. And you know what? Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, and i want you to tap in on this and I'm closing. I, I, I'm not supposed to be closed. Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, look at this. If you'll hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord God to all of his commandments and do that which the Lord God sent on thee, he said, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. Have you ever thought about being overtaken by the blessings of God? God is just pouring more in than I can. My input is not big enough. I'm speaking to you this morning, and I'm telling you, you've got a heavenly father that's just so overly anxious to bless you and enrich your life and make himself real to you if you'll just allow him to. Deuteronomy twenty-eight, twelve. Talking about the father's storehouse. The father's storehouse. The Lord said, I want to open my good treasure. I want to give you rain this season. I want to bless all the work of your hands. I want you to be so strong you'll be able to lend and not borrow. Are you listening to me? Who are we? Where have we been? What does God wants to do for us? God said I'm waiting for you to make a promise to you and then I'm going to give you my promises and then I'm going to bless you innumerably. Now in spite of all of this, I stand here today as a man that's been blessed. But see, today I still haven't made it. Yet. Haven't got to the end of the journey as yet. And you know what Matthew 24, 12, and 13 says, because of iniquity, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. The great Billy Graham was asked this question. Very godly man. But he was asked the question, said, Billy, what would you like for the Lord to say to you when you get to Glory. You know what Billy Graham said? I'd like for him to say well done thou good and faithful servant. What causes people to go back to the world? It's because they don't keep that commitment that they make to God. And then they fail to realize the innumerable blessings that God gives them every day. By the grace of God we're going to see the end of a Christian race and we're going to be able to be home with the Lord let's stand together you know what I'd like to say this morning listen to me very clearly soberly I don't know how many times you put forth efforts to pursue God and maybe you find yourself falling and when you fall you fall a little deeper than you were before I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to burst something in you and build something in you that will make you that person that you have never, never been before. I'm not going to put no pressure on nobody this morning. I'm just going to simply say, Pastor, I've listened to you this morning. And I realize that my failure is not dependent on anybody else except myself. I've not followed through with my commitment to God. There's been too much of that old world that I haven't really sought God to get out of me. That it's pulled me back. It's pulled me back. And I've not been strong enough in God to withstand it. But if you say to this one, you say, Pastor, I mean business with God. I want to make a clean cut with the world. And I want to say I'm accepting Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life. I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to be entangled anymore in the affairs of this world. But I'm going to serve God. Hallelujah. Is there any like that here this morning? I've done a lot of playing around with God, but I've never really made a real serious dedication.